listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You're going to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10 this morning, verses 38 through 42. Um, I don't need to remind you that life can be busy at times. It can even be hectic. I don't know if you feel that at times. Or, and when it is hectic and when it is busy, it is very, very difficult to determine what the best choices are to make for your life. Um, I feel this in my own life. Perhaps some of you can relate to this as well, that the busier I am, the more, the more hectic my life is, the more it seems like I'm being pulled in different directions. And when you're pulled in different directions, it's really difficult to know what is the best choice to make, right? If you're a parent and you have kids, you know, what's the best choice for my children? Um, you know, what's the best choice for me? What's the best choice for my spouse? Like, what, what actually are the best choices to make? And here in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, we're looking at this very, very familiar story of Martha and Mary. Now, how many of you have ever read that story before? All right, so about half of you, or the, the 50% that were willing to put their hands up. So I'm guessing probably more than 50% of the people have seen or, or read this story or have heard this story preached about before. This is a story of two sisters who are pulled in very different directions. They make very different choices. Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. And so here's the thing. This is what I want you to get this morning from God's Word. It's this. When you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you have made the best choice. When you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you have made the best choice. Now, whenever I read this story, I am always torn because in my heart, I have this feeling of longing. When I read this story, I long to be more like Mary. I want to be more like Mary, but I also have this other feeling of resignation in my heart, knowing that even though I long to be more like Mary in this story, my resignation is this, that my life usually looks a lot like Martha. Looks a lot like Martha. All right, you ready? Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, before we jump into the rest of the story, I want you to notice three things. Three things from verse 38, okay? Three things from verse 38. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. Notice this story is not just about Jesus, and it's not just about Mary, and it's not just about Martha. It's also about they. You see at the beginning in verse 38, now as they went on their way. And you say, well, who are the they? Well, we don't know exactly who the they are, but we can kind of guess, do an intelligent guess. You know, um, many times when Jesus is walking on the face of the earth, when he lived many, many years ago here on this earth, he had men called disciples that were hanging out with him and women that were called disciples as well that were hanging out with him. Sometimes it was 12 men, sometimes it was three men, sometimes it was a much larger group of people called disciples. And we don't have to, have, that doesn't have to be a stretch of our imagination because if we just go back to the beginning of chapter 10, 
right? Just kind of like glance right back to 10, chapter 10, verse 1. You'll see that at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus sends out how many? 72. He sends out 72. And those 72 have got to be disciples of Jesus that he sent out. So in other words, when this story is taking place, he has a bunch of disciples that are hanging out with him. Now, as they... Right? This is, we don't know how many exactly, but there's a, you know, there's not, it's just not Jesus. There's a group of people. And then add to that that wherever Jesus is going at this point in time in his ministry, wherever Jesus is going, he has the tendency to attract crowds. Let's just put it this way. When Jesus is walking down the street, he's never walking by himself at this point in time in the life of his ministry. So there's a they in this story. This is important as we kind of begin to look into the rest of the verses in just a minute. So that's the first thing you need to understand. There's a they to the story. And then it says this, that Jesus entered a village. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's the big deal. He's doing what he actually commissioned the 72 to do. Again, go back to chapter 10. Verses 1 through 11. Let's begin reading at verse 4. I want to begin reading at verse 4. He sends out these 72, and it says in verse 4, he says to them, Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house. Remain in the same house. Eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is what Jesus commissioned the 72 to do. In another gospel, it says that, that Jesus sent them out ahead of him. In other words, he sent them out with the idea that he was going to do the same thing after they were sent out. And here you have this story. As they, as they went on their way, Jesus enters a village. What is he doing? He is doing what he told his 72 to do. And he shows up at the house of Martha. And Martha's house becomes the what? The house of peace. And guess what? He's going to stay there as long as he's in that village. In other words, you need to think of Martha's house like headquarters. Right? There's a they. We don't know how many. There's a they. The they, Jesus and his group, show up at Martha's house. It becomes a house of peace in that village. He's going to stay there as long as he's going to stay in the village. I don't know how long he stays there. We don't know how long he stays there. Let's just put it this way. He's not just coming for dinner. Now, that's pretty important to understand, isn't it? Here's the third thing I want you to notice. That a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. This story is on the, uh, right after the story of the Good Samaritan, where uh, a man shows mercy a Samaritan man shows mercy towards a Jewish man. He's showing hospitality toward him, towards him. This story is about hospitality and the kind of welcome that Jesus wants. So, so just, just try to envision this. 
Try to understand this picture before we dive into the rest of the verses. So Jesus and some of his friends show up at Martha's house. What happens next? Well, ancient Near Eastern hospitality happens next, and nobody in this room has really any full concept of exactly what that looks like. Hospitality, the word hospitality means to welcome strangers. Some of you in this room, you're like, you're not sure you want to even invite your extended family over to your house, right? It's like, but here, this is, this, the whole idea in that culture is that because it was a culture where people traveled and all that, it was not unusual for people to welcome strangers into their homes. That's what it meant to practice hospitality, to practice that kind of hospitality. So you can imagine what's happening. There's a market run that has to happen. Right? She doesn't have a side of beef hanging in her meat cooler out in the garage. Right? So she, there's all this activity, frantic activity, going back and forth towards the market. There's no running water in her home. I mean, who, who invites somebody else over for, hey, stay at my house. Oh, by the way, there's no running water. Well, of course there was no running water back then. We don't know how close her house was to the well, but I'll tell you this, they're going to have to go back and forth a lot to get water uh, from this place. So... It's, it's amazing. Just think about all the activity that's going on, the, on, on in that home. Just think about it. Just think about it. And add to that, it's Jesus. You know, when I was younger, I used to wonder what it would be like to have someone famous over for dinner. And so I'd say crazy things to my mom like this. Hey, mom, wouldn't it be great if the queen could come over for dinner? Right? I, I don't know why I said that, but... I wonder how many of us would actually like to have the queen drop in unannounced, right? She just shows up at the front house, other house, with her posse, right? They're all at the front door, and you, and oh, the queen's here. And you, of course, you have to invite her in, and you invite her into the house. And so you're sitting awkwardly in the living room. There's the queen and her entourage on one side of the room, and there's you and your family on the other side of the room. And all these thoughts come kind of flying into your head that, oh, I wish I had cleaned the house today, or I really hope she doesn't use that washroom, or all these kinds of things that are kind of flying through, flying through your mind. I just, I, just wonder, I just wonder how many of us would want to do this. Now, think about this. This is Jesus who shows up at her house. The one who has been healing people in every town that he goes to up to this point in the story. The one who just fed 5,000 people in Bethsaida. The one who we know would ultimately die and rise again. The one who is our Savior. The one who is Lord. The one who is Messiah. He's at the door of her house. He's sitting in her living room. Now, let's read the rest of the story. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. See, when you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you have made the best choice. It says here that one thing is necessary. Do you see in verse 42? This is your first point. One thing is necessary. Right here in verse 42, it says, 
Jesus, replying to Mary, Martha says, Martha, one thing is absolutely necessary. Well, what is that one thing? Well, that one thing is what Mary chose. It's Mary's way. Back, look at verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. That's the one thing that's necessary. Okay? What's the one thing that's necessary? It's what Mary did. She sat at the Lord's feet. She listened to his teaching. She's like, Mary's the outlier in this story. She's the um, countercultural one. Martha is doing what you're supposed to do. Right? Mary should be helping her. But instead of jumping into all the activity of hospitality preparations, Mary chooses to sit at the feet of Jesus. No one's taught her to do this. Like, you know, we have a disconnect with this story because when I think about what Mary did, I just think, well, like, of course that's what you would do, right? The last thing I want to do is do all the prep stuff anyways, right? Like, I'd rather write a check or, like, get somebody else to do it, all right? And some of you are kind of, come on, please, don't leave me hanging here. I know a lot of you are like that, okay? Like, we would just much rather do that. I mean, why would I want to, of course... If I had an option between one or the other, I'm going to choose to hang out with Jesus in the, in the living room. But you have to understand, you've got to understand, like, no one has ever taught her to act like this. Right? Her whole life, her culture has prepped her to be hospitable to strangers. That when a stranger shows up at your door, you're supposed to open up your home and you're supposed to serve them and get do all this activity and so see Martha is doing what she's supposed to do this is what you're supposed to do and Mary steps out of the the norm and chooses to do something totally different her mother never taught her how to do that her father never taught her how to do that there's nobody screaming at her to do that it's just that in that moment in that exact moment she has a sense in her heart, in her mind, that the one thing that is necessary for her to do right now is not to serve, but actually to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to his teaching. She realizes in that moment that what she needs more than anything else is Jesus. And Mary's way has to be our way. It has to be our way. God's message for you and for me this morning is this. This is what you need. This is more important than anything else. This is the one thing that's absolutely necessary for your life. Jesus. Jesus. And so you see here that she just... She breaks from the norm, and she sits at his feet, and she listens to his teaching. She's focused on Jesus. She's sitting at the Lord's feet. She's taking the posture of a disciple. And when the rabbi would teach, the disciple would sit at the feet of the rabbi. Why would they do that? Because it was a recognition of authority of the in the teacher, or humility on behalf of the student, or respect towards the teacher, or commitment towards the teacher, 
an expression of loyalty towards a teacher. It was a way of saying that you were truly devoted to, as a disciple to this teacher. It was a way of saying that I had this relationship with this teacher. She's sitting at his feet. She's. Do you, do you understand how the work of God's grace in her life in that moment to get her to, caught, to stop and to pause and to sit at Jesus' feet. She's focused on him. She's fixated on his teaching. She's listening to his teaching. Now, I know and you know there's a difference between listening and, and hearing, right? You can hear things and not listen. Like some of you right now. You're hearing, but you might not be listening. There's a total, total difference. In fact, one of the interesting things is in the Gospel of Luke, that's a, actually a fairly big theme in the Gospel of Luke. I want you to keep your hand. I don't, we don't do this very often. I want to keep your hand here in Luke chapter 10. We're just going to go back to Luke chapter 8. Just turn a couple of pages over in Luke chapter 8 and see how the, this is one example in the Gospel of Luke of how this theme of the difference between hearing and listening. You see in Luke chapter 8, as uh, Jesus is talking, giving the parable of the sower, it says in verse 8 that some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I don't think it, does, I don't think it takes a rocket science to figure out the fact that when Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, he's not really trying to say, just hear. He's actually trying to say what? Listen. If, you're, if, you, if you can hear my words, I want you to what? Listen. I want you to listen to them, is what he's saying. The same chapter, same chapter, look at verse 15 of chapter 8. It says, as he's explaining this parable, he says, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. I love seeing that. It's all, this is all about listening. They hear it, they hear it, then what happens? They hold it fast in an honest and good heart and then in, in, in seasoned or through patience, they bear fruit. That's the difference between hearing and listening. You can hear something, but it's not until you truly listen and you allow it to go sink down deep into your heart that God actually begins to produce fruit. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Same chapter, same chapter, verse 18. He says, take care then how you hear. For to the one, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. He said, take care then how you hear. Make sure you listen. Why? Because... He says, more will be given to the one who actually has, who is actually listening. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes who think, who think that they know what God is saying, who think that they're actually listening to what God is saying. And he's saying, listen, those ones, those things, they have something that's going to be taken away from them. But you, if you truly listen to me, I'll give you even more. That's cool. Jesus promised that if you actually truly listen to me, I'll give you more. Look at verse 21, same chapter. But he answered them and he said this, my mother and my brothers are those who what? 
Hear the word of God and what? Do it. Right? There's a difference between hearing and, and, and listening, right? There's a difference between that. Now, we hear, we listen to Jesus' words, to God's word, because they are words of life. I love how in, um, in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, it talks about how that God's word is it's like, it's like truth that sets us free. Or in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, where Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, is talking about the difference between the foolish man and the wise man. Right? The wise person is the person who does what? Who listens to what? To his words. He puts them into practice. There's a difference between hearing and listening because when the storms of life come, when the storms of life come, right, when they come, if you're listening to the words of Jesus and you're putting them into practice, your, your, your foundation is not going to fall down. If you're a foolish person, you'll listen to something else. When you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus... You've made the best choice. You're focused on Jesus and you're fixated on his teaching. You're focused on Jesus. You're fixated on his teaching. So, are you? Is that, is that you? Sitting at the feet of Jesus? Listening to his teaching? Now, we, we require a daily, steady diet of sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his word. Um, you can tell by looking at me that I eat more than one meal a week. So it's pretty clear that I eat more than one meal a week. And, and you can laugh at me, and, and I, inside I'm laughing at you at the same time. So that's okay. It's all right. It's an equal opportunity here. So I eat more than one meal a week. You know why I eat more than one meal a week? Because I know eating one meal a week is actually, over the long haul, not sustainable. What is true physically of my life is even more true spiritually. Right? Man shall not live by bread alone, right? Right? Man shall not live by bread alone. What does that mean? That means that that our spiritual feeding is actually even more important than our, than our physical feeding. Physical feeding is important, but obviously our spiritual feeding is even more. What is true physically is even more true spiritually of our lives. It's not enough. It's not enough to eat one meal a week. And as amazing as this is, and as blessed as my heart is to be here this morning, and that you're actually engaging with God's word right now, and I believe very firmly the Spirit of God is taking God's word and is speaking to your heart, as amazing as that is, as awesome as that is. It's, listen to me, listen to, to the words from a preacher. This is not enough. It's not sustainable. Right? When we open God's word, it's, we're not opening a textbook, but it's a concentrated time with the God of this universe. We're placing ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ and his teaching in our life, where we're paying attention to what we're reading. And that's why, that's why I try to, every morning, try to get up as early as I can 
and read God's word. Sometimes I read it out loud. Sometimes I sing it. Sometimes I pray it out loud. I know I'm a little strange, but that's what I do. I do all those things. You know why? Because I know it's really hard to sit at the feet of Jesus and actually listen to his teaching. Right? It's really, really difficult. That's why my Bible is full of notes on many chapters and many verses. I have dates attached to things. I have, this is like my journal as well as my Bible. I just do all these different things. I used to journal separate, but now I just, I just put it all in one place. And I just kind of read it and I go through it. Why, why am I doing that? Because I know it's so hard to actually sit at the feet of Jesus and actually listen to his teaching. To listen to his teaching. I know that you could read God's word and hear it and yet still not listen. I remember there were mornings when I read God's word and 10 minutes later I've forgotten what I just read. When you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you've made the best choice. You have to be focused on him and fixated on his teaching. Focused on him and fixated on his teaching. You say, well, maybe you're saying, well, how would I know if that was true? Well, the, then what will happen is his words, his teaching will actually do what it promises to do. You remember that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and all the way to verse 17? It says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable. It's profitable for what? It's profitable for teaching, instruction. So when's the last time you were actually reading God's Word outside of Sunday morning? You were reading God's Word and the Spirit of God actually instructed you. Instructed you. Or it's profitable for reproof. That word there means conviction. Like when's the last time you were moved to tears and conviction from your reading of God's Word to repentance? Not just here, praise the Lord that it happens here, but what about on your own, in your own time? Remember, it's not, this is not sustainable. We need more. What about correction? The idea of restoring us or improving us. When's the last time that God's word spoke into your heart and began to mend your broken spirit or correct your faulty understanding? Or training in righteousness. When's the last time that God's word actually launched you in a process of discipline and change in your life? See, when you sit at the feet of Jesus and you actually listen to his teaching, over time, that's what happens. Why? Because that's what God promises to do. He promises to do that. So let me ask the question again. Is that you? Is that you? Is that me? You see, when you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you have made the best choice. One thing is necessary, Jesus said. Like, that just sounds like it's not optional. It's necessary. So I know one thing's necessary. Here's the second point. The second thing I want you to notice from this passage is this. Many things, one thing's necessary, but many things pull us away from the one thing. Chapter 10, verse 40, it says, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, 
Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now let's not get too harsh towards, uh, towards Martha. Her intentions are amazing. Right? I, I want you to know that she has invited Jesus into her house. Her intentions are, are good. She wants to serve her Savior. That sounds pretty amazing to me. It sounds like spot-on good, good intentions. But we need to understand, in this story, Martha's way is not Mary's way. It says, Jesus said, you're distracted, you're anxious, you're troubled. Her frantic life has led to a fractured heart. Her frantic life has led to a fractured heart. And I, I have to tell you, there's so many times, I, again, as I said to you at the beginning of our time together, like, there's so much I want to be like Mary, but my life so much is like, it's so much like Martha. Distracted, anxious, troubled. That's what I feel many days, and I'm sure that's what many of you feel many days. And so because of that, we need to be aware of the things that pull us away from the one thing. Here's one of those things. One of those things is busyness. It's busyness. She says she was distracted with much serving. She was, in other words, she was pulled away from the necessary thing by doing serving. In other words, she was, she was doing a good thing. But it pulled her away from the important thing. Do you see that? Right? Nobody in this room is going to say that her serving, that was, well, that's bad, Martha. You should, you should never think about serving Jesus. That's not, not the point. I mean, I would be in trouble if I said that. That's not exactly what this story is saying. What this story is saying, that in her case, doing the good thing pulled her away from the important thing. It pulled her away from the necessary thing. I want to say that this story is only about Martha's fractured heart, but it actually isn't. It's also about her frantic life in that moment because a frantic life almost always leads to a fractured heart. You cannot live um, an overpacked life or an agenda, over-agenda-driven, over overachieving, excellence-at-all-costs lifestyle without it impacting your ability to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. In fact, if you want quality in your relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going to require quantity from you of time in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, really? Sure, just ask your spouse or ask your kids or ask a friend, you know. You know, is it, would it be okay if I just gave you quality time instead of quantity time? Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you do it? How do you actually achieve quality without quantity? Right? Go ahead. Tell your kids this week, you know, son, daughter, I've got, I've got 15 minutes to give you this week, and it's going to be the best 15 minutes of your life. How do you think they're going to respond to that? No go. It's not going to work. Why? Because we know that to achieve quality, it requires Quantity. Even Jesus, even Jesus, our Savior, in the midst of his busyness, he broke away to the mountainside to be with his Father. 
He was always looking for times that he could break away to be with his father. Jesus is not anti-serving. There's lots of chapters in the Gospels where he talks about serving and being ready for the return of of the Lord. And, And Matthew 25 is a great example of that. He's just concerned here with how the drive to serve has caused her to make the wrong choice. So hear me out. Hear this out. Doing something for Jesus can never replace being with Jesus. Right? Doing something for him can't replace being with him. Some of the busiest people who are followers of Christ are the most distracted followers of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to abide with Christ. Abiding with Christ leads to fruitfulness for Christ. There's no other way. It's not about how much I can get down, done in the shortest period of time. It's not how hard I serve, how long I serve. It's not about those things. It's about actually abiding with Christ. Even in the midst of your serving, you can abide with Christ. But the point is you have to abide with him. If you don't abide with him, you will never be fruitful. Never fruitful. And so she was distracted by by busyness and it turns out that her busyness was actually a good thing but it pulled her away from the greatest thing that's a problem disillusionment is a problem too you see in verse 40 you can hear it in her words i love what she says she says she goes up to jesus and she says lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone tell her then to help me now, I do not know the tone. Like, I'm just kind of guessing on what the tone was. I don't know if she was quiet or if she was loud. I'm just thinking, man, that takes a, wow. That takes a lot of audacity on behalf of someone to kind of go up to Jesus and say, do you not care? I mean, how many, does anybody here think that Jesus cares? I think he probably cares a lot. She's saying, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Then you tell her to help me. What's the problem here? She's disillusioned. You could just write these words over her words. It's not fair. This will get in the way of your ability to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. When our hearts are captivated by what we think we deserve. And then add to that unmet expectations of others. It sometimes just take you off, your mind off the goodness of God and his ongoing love for you, and it can drive a wedge between you and the Lord. And that's exactly what's happened here. I mean, she's like, I, this is not fair. Add to that disillusionment, add to disappointment, uh, disappointment in verse 41. She says, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. I could just say, like, I'm just telling you, like, if you, Jesus has got to mention your name twice. There's got to be something really wrong here, right? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, we don't know 
what those things were, but we can kind of guess, like how about responsibilities? She doesn't want to let Jesus down. She loves Jesus. She wants to serve Jesus. It's expected that she would do that for Jesus. Or about what about her reputation? What will people think of me if we can't pull this off? I mean, we're supposed to be able to be hospitable towards people. Many things can pull you away from the one thing that's necessary. What's pulling you away from the one thing that's necessary? What's pulling you away from actually being able to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching? What is it? Is it this? This is my biggest struggle. Or the first thing in the morning, this is my thing, right? What I want to do is I want to take God's word and I want to sit at Jesus' feet and I want to listen to his teaching. But I got this thing too. That's a distraction for me. I don't know what's a distraction for you. What are the things that pull you away? What are the things that are pulling you away? Is it busyness? Is it, is it disillusionment in your heart? Is it disappointment? What is it? What is it that's getting in the way of your ability to really sit at the feet of Jesus and really listen to his teaching? What is it? So here's the thing in this story. Look at what happens next in verse 42. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen. She's chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You have to choose the one thing. One thing's necessary. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, listen to his teaching. Many things will pull you away from that. But you have to choose it. You have to choose it. I wish I could tell you there was a, like a, a fancy formula you could follow, like step one, step two, step three kind of thing. Like, I wish I could give that to you. There isn't one. You just have to choose. Somebody said, man, I, you don't know my life. No, I don't know your life. You don't know my life either. But I can guess, right? Some of you are younger. Some of you might have young kids at home. You think, man, I don't know how to, I don't know how to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. I get it. You know, your kids are pulling at you and pulling you with this direction and the next direction. You're driving them here or driving them there. You're doing all these different kinds of things for them. I, I get it. It's really hard, really hard to do that, right? Here's the thing. You have to choose. You say, man, like I'm busy. I got my business is busy. It takes up all my hours. Like I just, I, you know, I have to travel. I got all this. I get, I get. I honestly, I do understand that. I do understand the pressures of that. I get that. I understand that. I know it's difficult. I know it's challenging. Here's the thing: you have to choose. You have to choose. You have to choose the one thing that's necessary. You have to choose Jesus. You have to choose to sit at his feet and to listen to his teaching. You have to choose that every day, every single day. You have to make that choice. Of all the choices that you have available to you, you have to believe that this is the good portion that no one can take away from you. This is the good portion that nobody can take away from you. Martha, listen, this is the good portion that no one can take away from you. Do you believe that? Choose it. Take it. You have to choose. 
Because he's always, Jesus is always the better portion. He's always the best choice. He's always the necessary thing. I don't know where you are. I don't know what your relationship is with Jesus Christ. I'm sure many of you here in this room would profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. There may be some of you here who don't profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you for being here. I would say to you that a story like this and a message like this would say to you that if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that this is your opportunity to actually start following Jesus and actually sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. Because of your sin, you cannot have a relationship with the God of this universe through Jesus Christ. You cannot sit at his holy feet. But Jesus made a way through his grace. He made a way through faith, through the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sin. He died in your place, and you can respond in faith and belief to that. You can come running to him because his saving work in your life can actually allow you to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. And then for many of us here this morning, this is an invitation to to just keep following Jesus. Remember, a frantic life leads to a fractured heart. Doing for Jesus never replaces being with Jesus because when you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you have indeed made the best choice. Let's pray together. Father, I just I want to ask on behalf of all of us, myself included, all of us in this room, that you would teach us what is the one thing that's necessary. Remind us again, over and over again, the one thing that's necessary. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ. To actually sit at his feet, to listen to his teaching. To be focused on Christ, to be fixated on his teaching, to, to not only hear his word, but actually to listen to it, to listen to it, to allow it to change us. Spirit, would you do that for us? I want to pray for young families here this morning who are try, finding it difficult to balance their time and to make the right times of commitments. And Father, I pray that you'd impress on the hearts of husbands that they would find ways that where they can help their wives to really carve out time where they can truly sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. I pray for wives that they would be able to support their husbands in a way and really encourage them in a way that as a family they can actually sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. I think about all the different decisions we have to make, all the different choices we have to make this week, all the good things that we'll be doing, but are they the important thing? So, Father, I pray that you would just impress on our hearts again the importance of sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching. Oh, the longing of my heart, Father, is to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. Help us all. Lead your sheep. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.